Well, it never gets old to hear stories of life change like that. Um, as Dustin said, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at, at Life Church. And Pastor Aaron wishes you well. I was actually texting with him this morning. He is in northwest Arkansas at a church plant that you helped plant. Uh, many of you remember Steve and Shannon Borland that were on staff here, planted a church in Arkansas, and we've been a part of that ever since. And so today they are celebrating their five-year anniversary as a church and uh, doing phenomenal, uh, like three, 400 people that are coming every single Sunday there. And that wouldn't happen without churches like you who, who send out uh, missionaries and church planters all around the country, all around the world. And so uh, it's exciting to be a part of that. And uh, as Dustin said, we are concluding this series called Next Level Leader. Uh, really, we've been looking at the book of Titus for the last, uh, this will be our third week. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Titus chapter 3. We'll get there in a minute. Uh, but we're really looking at what does it look like to be a godly leader. And the book of Titus really, uh, you know, as Paul explains to Titus what it means to lead, what it means to be godly, what it means to set an example for others, uh, we're going to dive into that in just a moment. But uh, about 10 years ago, I had one of those once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. It was, it was one of those bucket list type things. And I, I may alienate some of you because uh, it, it's about golf. I'm sorry. But, it, so if you, it, but I think you can appreciate this. It, it, it was golfing St. Andrews. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just Good golf course, bucket list golf course, awesome experience. But those of you who do know what that is, that, that's a big deal. And so it was one of those days that woke up early. I'm making sure my outfit looks right. I'm looking at the weather forecast, what kind of wind, what kind, you know, am I going to need rain gloves? Am I going to need, you know, what, what am I going to need for this day? Because I heard that at the end of the round, they give you a plaque that has your scorecard on it. And so I'm like, I do not want to hang like a 110. I, I don't, I don't want to have a terrible round and then have to throw that plaque away because every time I see it, I'm frustrated. So I'm like, I really want to play a good round of golf. And through the first 17 holes, things were actually going pretty well. I mean, I was a little surprised. I, I, at that point, I go, just to give you a little context, some of you, this will mean nothing. Uh, going into the last hole, I needed a birdie on the last hole to break 80. And that for me was like, I'm playing good golf at that time. And so uh, I'm thinking it's probably not realistic, but I could break 80 and have a 79 that I could have like on that plaque, like that, that's starting to become real. I'm actually getting a little nervous about it. And so I get to the final hole, and if, if, if you don't know anything about St. Andrews, I bet you have seen the 18th hole at St. Andrews at some point. In fact, Somebody in our group said on the 18th hole, we're going to all take pictures of each other. And so that, you know, that, that's like the hole that you take pictures on. And so I have a picture from 10 years ago. This is me on the 18th hole. And so what would happen is, just to kind of give you a, a little bit of the surrounding. So this is like the city of St. Andrews. There would be people gathered all along, you know, kind of where the hole is by that red building. Remember the red building. I'm going to come back to that. So there's like people gathered. So I'm like, I got to have a good drive. I have a drive right down the middle. I'm like, oh, this is, this is awesome. I'm going to have a real chance at, at, at birdie. I'm probably 130 yards out, something like that. Uh, this is going to be good. So I get up to the ball. And at St. Andrews, you have to take a caddy. And so there, me and another guy have one caddy between the two of us. And so I get to my ball. He gives me my pitching wedge. And in an Irish, Scottish accent, whatever it was, you know, he's like, 
uh, go ahead and, and hit your pitching wedge 120 yards. I'm like, sweet, that's great. Then he goes to the other guy looking for his ball, you know, and so I don't have my clubs, I just have one club. The other caddy for the other two guys in our group comes by me and whispers in my ear, it's 140. Now, if you golf, you know the difference between 120 and 140, that's a big difference. And so it's like, I'm, I don't have the right club in my hand. And so I don't want to flag down the other caddy. I don't want to embarrass him like, hey, your partner over here says you're wrong. You're 20 yards off. And it also looked more like 120 to me. So I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I just decide I'm going to do what is the golfing kiss of death. I'm going to just put a little extra oomph on my pitching wedge. Bad idea. So I wind up and I take this shot. And it, it must have flown off the club at about 140 miles per hour. Uh, never got more than about 20 feet in the air. Um, thankfully, it cleared not only the green, it also cleared all of the people that were like dodging out of, like for real, dodging out of the way. And if we put that picture back up real quick, that red building might have a ball mark belonging to me on it. It hit off that building so hard that it, like a Plinko chip, down through the city streets. Like you could hear it for a while. It probably traveled 400 yards, and I'm not exaggerating at all. It, it was the worst shot of the day, the worst shot I've had, and it, it was it was off. It was embarrassing. Uh, everyone's laughing, like people are, and I was like, I actually played good golf until that one shot. I tell you that story, one, because I just thought it was kind of funny. But two, um, you know, anytime you get multiple voices telling you different things, it's a recipe for disaster. And when it comes to leadership specifically, uh, you will have so many different voices, so many different books, so many, you, and really you can categorize it one of two ways. You will have kind of what the conventional wisdom, the worldly view on what it means to be a leader, and then you'll have what it means according to scripture to be a leader. And there's a lot of parallels that will happen between the two, but there's also a lot of big differences between the two. And if you're not careful you can listen to both voices and trying to parse out what's right from over here, what's right from over and put it all together. And Paul is telling Titus in, in, in the book of Titus, chapter 3 specifically, those are not the voices to be listening to. Listen to what I'm telling you. I am giving you good, godly advice of what it means to be a godly leader. See, there's a difference. Worldly leadership is about power and personal gain. Uh, Godly leadership, Christian leadership, is about love and service. It's very different. Worldly leadership is about uh, getting others to, to a certain result. And you may even say controlling others. Where godly leadership, Christian leadership, is about serving others. It's totally different. Worldly leadership is whatever means necessary to achieve goals. Where godly leadership, Christian leadership, is about humility and self-sacrifice. And worldly leadership focuses on the here and the now. The, the, everything is about right now. How do I get results? And world, or Christian leadership has an eternal perspective that's not just about the here and now. And so in Titus chapter 3, Paul uh, lays out what it looks like to be a godly leader. In fact, that's the overarching theme of the entire book of Titus is how to be godly. Uh, there's two main things. One, he says, here's how you be godly. And number two, Good works will always flow from somebody who is godly. So in other words, 
if you want to be, be a good leader, be a godly leader. How do I know if you're a godly leader? Good works will always flow from you. It'll be a natural thing. So in Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says this. It's going to be on the screen. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities and to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak uh, evil to no one, uh, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. And skipping down to verse 8, it says, This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Paul gives Titus a lot of advice in, in, in those four verses, but I want to boil it down to just a few things, few principles that Paul, and I would say these principles are found all throughout the book of Titus, but he really hones in on them here. The first one, if you're taking notes, next level leaders do not lord, they serve. Next level leaders do not lord over others, they, they serve others. In other words, next level leaders are selfless. They, they, they sacrifice a lot for other people. In verse, verses 1 and 2, it says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Paul gives a list of what good qualities of a leader are. He says, submissive, obedient, ready to work, uplifting, peaceful, gentle, and courteous to everyone. That list does not match what any, any leadership book will, will tell you today. In fact, there was an article published by Harvard Business Review that said a, a leader is influential, a risk taker, innovator, acts decisively, resilient, and accountable. Those are not bad traits. That's not bad advice. But they're not the most important things. Paul says if you want to get down to what's most important, next level leaders are selfless. They serve others. They don't lord over other people. See, the kingdom of, of God is often counterintuitive. If you've ever heard the phrase, the upside down kingdom of God, it's because of verses like in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Or if you read out of uh, Matthew chapter 20, it says that the last shall be first. That's counterintuitive, it's the upside down kingdom. Of heaven, next level leaders put others first. Now, I, I never truly knew what selflessness actually looked like. I, I mean, when I really got a glimpse of what selflessness is, it's when, when I had children. Uh, because up until that point, I mean, it's it, you, you just hard to really understand what it means to sacrifice for another person. But having kids, and I'm not saying that you have to have kids to truly appreciate and understand, but any parents in the room know. I mean, when you have a kid, it is no longer about your desires. It, it is about making sure that those kids are protected, that they, uh, like, for example, when you're on vacation, oftentimes as a parent, it's not really a vacation. It's a trip, right? It's it, because you're constantly, and you have, you have a good time, and, and part of the joy of parenting is because you want to see your kids have, have an awesome experience and have a great time, but it's, you're not doing all the things that you want to do. You're, you know, like, 
I do not want to sit in line at Disney World ever, in under any circumstance ever. It's not about what I want to do. Or movies. I mean, I, I can probably count on one hand the number of non-kid movies I've been to at the movie theater in 15 years. Uh, it, it just, it, it's about, you know, it's kid movies, right? And, or food. I could, I, without fit, I could tell you every single item on the Culver's menu. And it's not because I think Culver's is fine dining, and I, I, I don't mind Culver's, but it, it would never be the first restaurant that I would pick, but it would be the first restaurant that my kids would pick most of the time. That or Chick-fil-A, right? Those are basically our two options. Uh, but it's all about selflessness. It's, uh, parenting is all about sacrifice. And I know that those are small things, and I even know that as a parent, you gladly do those things. Like, I don't have to twist your arm to say you need to sacrifice your kid. You just, it's obvious. It's self-evident. It's something that you just know intuitively, yes, that makes sense. I sacrifice for my kids. But Paul is saying, he's not talking about a parent to their children in this verse. He's saying, be submissive, serve others. That's a little harder to do when you're talking about a coworker to, to sacrifice and to be selfless. Now, you take it a step further. Do you do that with people you don't even know? Are you selfless? Do you sacrifice? Next level leaders do not lord over others. They sacrifice. They serve others. Second thing, if you're taking notes, next level leaders are not passive. They are active. They don't have a passive faith. They have an active faith. Paul, in verse uh, verse number eight, he talks about this. We're going to read it in a second. But he's really saying next level leaders do good works. They do good things. You will, you will be known by what you do for other people, by the good works that you do. Verse 8, it says, This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Good works naturally flow. First of all, they flow out of every Christ follower. Uh, the book of James talks about this. It says that faith without works is dead. But the motivation for good works uh, is not to prove anything to God. It's not to earn anything with God. It's something that just you naturally do as a Christ follower. I'll say it like this. Uh, any, anyone who has kids that play sports, you know that jersey day is a big day when, when you get those jerseys handed out. And so two of my boys are in baseball right now, and they just got their jerseys for baseball. They get like three different jerseys, all these different colors and combos. And so it, it, I mean, it literally is probably top three favorite day of the year for them. Christmas, their birthday, and jersey day. And so, uh, and, and, and just seeing it with their, their name and number are on the back of that. But I can tell you that they don't wear Coggins on the back of their jersey because they want to be my child. (laughs) They're not wearing Coggins on the back of their jersey to prove to anyone that they're my child. They're wearing Coggins on the back of their jersey because they are my child. They don't have to explain that to anyone. Like that's, I don't, uh, and as a parent, it's not on the back of their jersey because I need to prove to the coach, see, they're my my kid. You see, they even got the last name right there. That's not what it's about. They, They wear it proudly because they are my child. That is their last name. So it is with good works and Christians. We do good works not to earn salvation. We can't earn salvation. The Bible says that it's through grace. It's by faith through grace that we are, or, 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 that, that we are saved. 
that it's not anything that we did to earn it. We can't earn it. In fact, good works, all throughout Scripture, it talks about good works, never in a context of a way that we earn salvation. It's, it's not about that. It simply flows out of who you are. And so the question for us, if we want to be a next level leader, is my faith active? What do I do with that faith? I'd ask maybe a couple of introspective questions. When's the last time that you shared your faith with somebody? When's the last time that uh, you saw a financial need and met it? And I'm not talking about rounding up at the grocery store, okay? That's fine if you want to do whatever. I'm, I'm saying like you saw like a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, that you, that you had the ability to meet that need and you stepped in and met that need. That's what a next level leader does. Paul's saying that uh, that is, has to be a part of every Christian leader, that you have an active faith, that people can clearly tell you're a Christian, aren't you? Because I can tell by the way you conduct yourselves. I can tell by your good works. There's a missionary that you support through Greater that is uh, a missionary in, um, in a sensitive country. It's, it's one that can never even say the name of the missionary in the country in the, in, in the same setting. It's one of those that it's very risky where they are. They're in an area of the world that if you convert to Christianity, it's not necessarily illegal, but if you convert to Christianity, uh, your family can do whatever they want with you, and it's not illegal. They're trying to encourage that families could kill a family member for becoming a Christ follower. And they are completely, there's nothing that the government will do about it. They'll turn a blind eye to it. In fact, they're kind of encouraging it. And so there was a family in this country, and the missionaries led them to faith in Christ, led, led the woman to faith in Christ. And she became a Christian. And she went home and told her husband that I, I, I'm a Christian now. And he was so upset about it that he put her kind of under house arrest, so to speak, for a month. And, and physically abused her, and every day, will you renounce your Christianity? I mean, just a terrible experience. And after a month of that, every single day, day in and day out, she finally, you know, he, he finally said, your faith must be real. Because there's nobody who would go through that if it weren't genuine. And so as a result, he became a Christian. And then their family became a Christian. And now they are helping with these missionaries try to start a church in that country. All of that because this person, their faith was put under pressure, first of all. But they responded in a way that they have an active faith, not a passive faith. And that's what uh, is so attractive to a world that needs desperately the hope of Jesus Christ. When they see Christ followers that actually stand by what they believe in, it's not just something I, I don't just go to church. I don't just, I, I have an active faith. That's what next level leaders do. Last thing, next level leaders do not get distracted. They remain focused. They're focused. They kind of have a first things first mentality. I'm gonna, the task at hand, I'm going to stay committed to that. Uh, I don't know about you, but I get distracted a little bit easily. And especially, like, this will happen when I'm driving quite a bit. Like, there will be times, maybe this is scary to you, but, like, I'll drive for an hour and be like, I don't even know really what I just did. Like, where are we? Um, <laughs> Give you another story. Uh, there was somebody, somebody who was coming to me and Amanda's wedding that, uh, this was, uh, you know, 18 years ago almost. So they, uh, they were uh, 
the app, I just had to do the math real quick. Yes, it is 18 years, okay. Uh, they were coming from the Minneapolis area to Appleton, so four and a half hour drive. It took them nine hours to get there. We were like, what happened? They said, well, I got, I just, I was very distracted. I, in Wausau, instead of taking 51 South, I took 51 North. And they're, they're, I was like, when did you just, when did you realize that you were going the wrong direction? He's like, when I saw a welcome to Michigan sign. <laughs> what? So they drove like two hours in the wrong direction, you know, or whatever, uh, because they're distracted. They weren't focused on the task at hand. And in Titus chapter 3, verse 8, the one that we just read, Paul gives, uh, he gives uh, concrete, this is what you should be focused on. You should be focused on good works. You should be focused on serving others. And then in verse 9, he says, but there will be things that distract you. He says, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Now, in, in our context today, that verse may not, like, we don't spend a, maybe you do, but you don't t- spend a ton of time talking about genealogies. I, I don't. Uh, but Paul is saying here, he, and, and you could fill in the blank with a lot of different things, stay focused on what's important. Stay focused on good works. Don't get distracted by all of these other things. What we can relate to is don't get distracted by political debates. <laughs> uh, that, that might specifically tie into what he's saying here. Don't get so distracted by all of these other quarrels. Don't get distracted. I think this would even not be out of bounds. Don't get distracted by all of the things that you need to do. Don't get distracted by sports. Don't get distracted by hobbies. Don't get distracted by kid activities. There's nothing wrong with those things, but don't let them take you off of mission of what is most important. Being a godly leader requires a lot of focus, and next level leaders are focused on the main thing. They have the ability to say, first things first, I'm gonna stay focused on this. I'm going to stay focused on the Great Commission, to go into all the world, to preach the gospel to every living creature. That's what I'm here to do. I'm not going to get distracted by all of these things. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Keep Christ at the center of your life and keep your attention focused on the ministry that he has called you to. That's what next level leaders do. Now, today's sermon is not just um, a sermon. It's also kind of closing this entire series. And so... I wanted to close this way. I want to give maybe just a a bit of a challenge and some practical application uh, for you today. Paul, who who wrote the book of Titus, that uh, he also wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. And I I love this verse because I think it really simplifies uh, many things. He says this, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And and that was really his mantra with a a lot of his writings throughout the New Testament. He's kind of like, I'm not perfect, but just follow my example because I'm following after. I can show you what it looks like to serve God. I can show you what it looks like to be a Christ follower. Follow my example. For me, I, I, I feel extremely blessed that I've had a lot of great godly examples in my life. And I don't say that. Uh, with a lack of humility. The, the older I get, the more I realize that some of that is ex- extremely rare to have good, godly examples in my life. I could give you a lot of different examples. But one of them became very evident to me um, about a year ago. My, my dad retired, and so, and uh, 
he, he actually attends our Appleton campus and um, retired means just doing a whole lot of other things. You know, like he's still very busy, very active. They do a lot at the church, uh, the campus in Appleton. But at his retirement party, um, growing up, I always knew him like my dad, you know, he's successfully, um, he, he was in commercial lending, he, uh, specifically agricultural lending was kind of his specialty. And always, I'm like, I think he's successful. I don't know. It, you know, as a kid, you're like, you don't know. And my world never crossed with his world very much. It's not like, I, like my kids are watching me work right now. You know, like this is part of, like, so they get to see a part of my professional life you know, every single week. I didn't get that with my dad. I, I'm like, I don't really know the people that he works with very well. Occasionally we are at some party or whatever, but uh, didn't really know. And so one after another, people from years of working with him began to just share. They, there's a lot of funny stories and anecdotes and talked about his achievements. They talked about his knowledge and how helpful he was. But without fail, every single person talked about his kindness and talked about his character. They talked, he just, he, he led with character. Wasn't perfect, had flaws, but he always led with character. He, he was always willing to be selfless and to sacrifice for others. And sitting there, you know, with my brother and sister, we were just like, wow, this is, you don't, we don't really hear this much because we don't, we don't know these people very well. And it was, it, it, I took a step back in that moment and, and, and when it, as it pertains to what it means to be a godly leader, I said, man, I'm so thankful that I've had that example for nearly 40 years that I've every day been able to see what it looks like to be a godly leader. And my challenge for you today would be who's that person for you? Now, I understand a room of this size, there's probably very few of you that had the same experience that I did. Maybe that's not your example, but I would encourage you. Uh, I think it is so important as we look at being a godly leader, we have to have an example. We have to have somebody that we're looking towards. And I think that's what the beauty of the church is, that maybe, maybe you don't know this person well yet. It's going to take some time. There's no shortcuts here, but you have somebody. Uh, maybe if you're a younger guy in the church, maybe there's an older guy in the church that has a little bit more experience, a little more wisdom that you can simply ask questions to, that, hey, what does this look like? Again, not putting your faith in another human, that's not the point, but just as Paul wrote, that have somebody that you're following their example. Have somebody that's setting the path, that's paving the way for you. And then the second question is, do you have somebody who's looking to you? Again, I, I know that that's scary because you say, well, I don't have it all figured out yet. I'm not a good example yet. Well, it, I, I can tell you that um, as a Christ follower, there's an expectation that, that, that we just did this baby dedication. There's people watching how you lead your family. There's people watching how you conduct yourself, uh, whether you like it or not, but are you, are you being intentional about that? If you're a parent, it, it's a little more obvious, like especially with kids at home, not that parenting stops after they're out of the house, it doesn't, but when they're at home, it's very obvious, like that, those are the people that are looking to me. Those are the people that I need to set an example for. And so I just encourage you, who are you looking to and who's looking to you? That could just be one little takeaway, one challenge. Maybe that you even write that down and say, I'm going to give some thought to this. Because we all need that. We all need that example. We all need to know what it looks like to be a Christ follower. 
I, I know the ladies at Life Church really set, a, a, set the tone for this because you guys do a lot of different like flourish groups and uh, pairing uh, younger with older and, and, and all of that, that iron sharpens iron, so must one person sharpen another. But that's not just something that's relegated, guys, to, that. well, that's just what ladies do. That's something that we as, as men should be leading the way in. And I, I don't mean to, I'm not trying to guilt trip you or anything like that. I'm trying to just throw out a godly um, just challenge to you today. Who are you looking towards? Because each and every one of us um, need that example of what it looks like to be a next level leader. Today, as we close this sermon, as we close this series, would you join me? Would you pray with me today? Father God, we thank you for your instruction throughout Scripture that you take it very seriously of what it means to lead in an honorable way, what it means to lead in a godly way. And Lord God, I thank you that you, you never ask for perfection. You know that we are flawed, that we are sinners saved by grace. But do you do ask that we would fervently follow after you and that it would be evident in our lifestyle, it would be evident in our leadership. And God, we need your help. We need your strength. Your word says that your mercies are new every morning. Every morning we need new mercies. And so, God, we thank you that you supply us with our strength, that you supply us with our, our wisdom and insight and knowledge and patience and a peace that passes all understanding. I pray right now that you would strengthen us as leaders, that we as a church would be stronger together because of the individual leaders that are more like you, that are more godly each and every day. We thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.